Welcome to The Dreaming. I'm Joe Fulgham. I'm Sasha Smalders. This is The Sandman, Issue 7, Sound and Fury. So you've just finished reading Sandman Issue 7, Sound and Fury for the first time. What'd you think overall? I like this one a lot more than the last one. Yeah. Um, I was absolutely wrong in my prediction. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I wasn't wrong in that he doesn't die. Sure. Okay. Spoiler alert for the end of this issue, although you should have already read this issue. Uh, (laughs) If you're reading along with us, spoiler. Um, (laughs) I would hope that you would know that by now. If you're checking us out for the first time, you should probably start at the beginning. Yeah. I know there are people who sit down and read through it with us, but it should be, you should sit down and read through the whole thing and then read through it with us. Yeah. Yeah. Ideally. Sure. Because we're going to talk about what happens at the end at any point that we want. I mean, I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. I'm not your dad. Right. You can read comics however you want. Yes. We just have suggestions based on how we're doing this. Yeah. <laughs> the title Sound and Fury is from Macbeth Act 5, Scene 5. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the syllable of recorded time. And all our yesterdays are lighted fools. The way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle, life is but a walking shadow, a poor player who struts and frets his hour upon the stage and is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. I think that Neil likes Macbeth a lot. I think he's quite fond of uh, quite a bit of Shakespeare, actually. Because, I mean, we have quotes from it, and then he also, yeah, he does quote Shakespeare quite a bit, Mm -hmm. but he also uses the Weird Sisters... Yeah. As well. For sure. So my summary for this is simply, Dream confronts John D. to regain his lost ruby. Yeah. And there's not a lot to it. I don't actually have a lot of notes about this because it's almost the typical, at least the setup to it is the typical superhero fight. Yeah. Of shouting and yelling and saying what you're going to do. And then finally, they, again, sound and fury signifying nothing. That's It's kind of funny how true that is about this actual issue. Mm-hmm. Really interesting the way that works. The cover that we've got, I don't know if you can tell. Take a look at it right now. Can you see what's there? Now, we've got the photos, of course, and it's probably Dream's body, this long... There's a- there's a door there are several hands but there's a there's There's a muslin fabric yeah over top of a xerox of the cover of issue one of the sandman what so you can see poking through the muslin you can actually (gasps) see dream's face as it was as it was presented on the cover of issue one of the sandman huh yeah weird didn't notice that until it was pointed out in the dust covers book and there's also the large image of the uh nude figure which i imagine is probably supposed to be d i think that's dream oh i think that's dream the long thin white body it doesn't look decrepit i I think the hands are all the hands are pale and it looks like they've got dream's jacket on uh at least in the pictures in the side Hmm. and we've got a doorknob that's actually there and a hand reaching out to it. So opening up a new door. Mm, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Our comic begins with the uh, like a little summary of what's been happening in the rest of the world. Yeah. Listen, you can hear the screaming. Three children are trapped in an elevator with Bobby Joe McCann. 
Yeah, and just yeah, you've got kids that are trapped. Is Bobby Joe McCann a, a famous person? No, we don't. None of these are. These are all just kind of walk-on characters. Okay. Yeah. So some children are trapped in an elevator with someone who's probably pretty not good, um, very menacing. And there's a guy who's walking around with. He's walked into a, a yard full of dogs, and he's holding a tire iron. Uh, there's a, a a nurse who screams with laughter as a geriatric ward burns down, and she has a can of gasoline next to her. Yeah, she's very obviously set fire to the very people she was supposed to take care of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Dream is sort of walking through this. Mm-hmm. Listen, you see his cool flaming coat. Meanwhile, there's a plane has crashed. The streets of New York, we have uh, fundamentalists who are seeing the apocalypse. They believe it's Armageddon, but they haven't been raptured, which really has to be very upsetting <laughs> yeah, for, guess, yeah. for people who believe in the rapture. When, when you the predict apocalypse... the end of the world and it comes and then you don't get to go away. Yeah, because the whole point in them being obsessed with the end of the world is that they're going to get raptured. Yeah. It's like like all of you people who don't agree with me are mm-hmm. going to have this horrible torment and I get to live forever with God. And then when the apocalypse is happening around them, it's this realization that like either their belief is wrong or that they actually weren't good enough to qualify. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so sad is... Um, Nan Fowler, um, she's sitting there and she's crying. She's got her headset in her hands and she's crying uh, because people keep calling in for ambulances and she knows she has no more to send. Yeah, and the calls keep coming. Yeah. So even the people who aren't going mad or being directly affected are just getting worn down by having to deal with all this horror that Mm -hmm. D has released upon the world. Dream comes in here pretty much ready to... He doesn't come in here all fury and fire. He comes in very much like hey, person, just give me, like, you need to fix the ruby and give it back to me because the world is going bananas and I can't fix it without my uh, dreamstone. And John D is just, uh, I don't know. He doesn't even know why. Like, he's like, "Mm, revenge, possibly that and dreams of power. In the beginning, I thought I would tell them I was doing this and they'd make me the rule of the world if I stopped, but it's so much fun, I don't want to stop. He's manic, yeah. He's just engaged in enjoying the chaos that he causes and he does a little tap dance on their graves i guess while Mm -hmm. singing death takes a holiday Uh, death takes a holiday is a 1934 film about death taking human form for a day Uh, we might know remember this because it was remade as meet joe black starring brad pitt oh my gosh you're so right yeah oh i love that movie (laughs) it's it's, it's okay i think I think I watched it at a very impressionable age. Sure. And Brad Pitt made a very big impression on me in his extreme handsomeness. Right. And... I think that was the problem. They played him up as too hunky and beautiful and lovable and then didn't really stress the, dude, you are death, this is not allowed to happen portion. And that doesn't really play that well against modern romantic sensibilities. No, love will overcome all of this is what movies are supposed to say. I, I think so, that's what I liked about it is yeah? that it didn't do that. And that, I don't know, I feel like it's been a long time since I watched the movie. Mm-hmm. So mostly the impression on me is extremely, extremely handsome Brad Pitt with his beautiful blonde hair in that movie and yeah. like wearing a tuxedo and yeah. And the puppy dog eyes. Oh, God, the such naivete. Puppy. Yeah. Such puppy dog eyes. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. 
I love him. Can we watch this movie after we're done this? <laughs> sure. And we get a little bit of a background on the stone. Dream made the stone from the fabric of his own being long ago. Powered by my spirit, it was made to manipulate the fabric of dreams of the world I rule. So he basically went, ah, all this having to directly manipulate dreams is a pain. I'm going to make a ruby so it's easier and I'm going to use part of myself because that's what powers it anyway. It's it's like a... Um... It's like a horcrux. Yeah, horcrux, phylactery. Except it, it's not exactly because no. like Voldemort breaks his soul into horcruxes, so he's impossible to kill. Right. Um, yeah, it seems like Dream just decided to make a tool that was easier to use, but he gave up some of his own power in order to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And he's very upset, though. He's, it seems like Dream is trying to communicate. He's trying to be very rational. It was not made for this. If you just, if you reverse what you have done to the jewel, then let me use its energies to repair the damage that you've done to the world. Like, he's just like, look, this is bad. You know it's bad. Give it back to me and I'll fix it. And not really seeming to understand right away that D is full on evil and enjoys the chaos that he's causing. Yeah, he's trying to rationalize with him. And he also, he doesn't seem all that angry. He seems sad and... D desperate almost mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and d says give you my baby don't be stupid i'm going to kill you yeah and we hear dream it's a it's a thought bubble i guess it can be a little hard to see with the power of my own ruby perhaps he could it has absorbed too much of my soul stuff already so he's completely weak we've already heard that he's weak and then in that second to last issue it took even more of him out of him. Mm -hmm. So he's even weaker than he was. And that power that he lost is now D's. So he's in big, big trouble. Yeah. So, of yeah. course, being clever, he knows he's not going to fight him here. He's going to have to take him to where he at least has some kind of an advantage. Mm -hmm. So he opens a little dream portal and steps inside. And D calls him a coward for it. Yeah. Cowardy, cowardy custard, stick your head in the mustard, break you, suck it up, spit you out, bastard. Now, beloved, follow him. Take me into dreams, my darling. Do you hear me? Now. Yeah, he just commands the ruby. I like it, though. Cowardy, cowardy custard, stick your head in the mustard. Yeah. I want to say that to somebody next time. He's got some really great lines through this whole thing, his insults and, and spouting off, some of which really seem like they're quotes from somewhere else, but I've tried to search some of them, and I think it's all just uh, Neil making up some really great mm. things for an evil madman to shout. That being said, if you're listening to us and you recognize a quote, please comment and let us know yeah. what we've missed. We enjoy that. Just don't be mean. Be nice. Joe can take you being mean. I can't. I'll cry. <laughs> then I think they're, I'm not sure exactly what's happening here. I guess they're, it's going through the chaos again. Yeah, we get, these are done without color. Mm -hmm. these, these Another ones. page so of, of the they're chaos. They're showing what's going on. Uh, down in the bottom with the, uh, the person who has obviously cut a dog's head off and is holding up, he has a button that says Norman Lives. Oh. That's probably a reference to Norman Bates, the main yeah. character in the movie Psycho. Okay. Not entirely sure why it's referenced there. Mm, cut Perhaps, the dog's head off. Yeah, I know. And his name was Fido. Mm. You can tell because he carved the name Fido into the dog's head. Yeah. Mm. <sighs> I don't like that. John D. follows 
dream. He goes into the dream world mm-hmm. and he, he opens a door. But when he comes out, he doesn't look like himself. He looks like Caesar. Yeah. So in his dream, he's Caesar. And there's these three women who all have the same face. Yeah. It looks like one of those celebrity faces like taken from an image. Right. Yeah. It's a bit of a Hecate thing going on here, but I think they're just meant to be dreams. As this progresses, it seems like this is kind of a tactic of dreams to try and attack D through his emotions, through his memory, by confusing him with, you know, illusions and illusions and keeping him off balance with the power of the dream world. Mm. Because we continue through, he, he talks about the dream he had of raping his mother and at first, the, the soothsayers tell him, oh, it means you'll rule the world, Caesar, our universal mother. And it's like, no, no, it just means you had a dream about raping your mother. A tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. And instantly, the memory of his mother is really angry at him for having that dream. Mm. And we even see the photo to Roddy, your slave in love, Ethel, 1927, mm-hmm. that we saw way back in issue number one. Yeah. Right? And you had, what, Johnny D, I wish to God I'd strangle you at birth, which is, it's not really her. We're in the dream world. This is dream trying to get at D. So he lets his wish fulfillment fantasy on the first page of this dream. It's specifically John D's dream, and this is his wish fulfillment. And then when you flip the page, it's dream stepping in and twisting it so that it becomes a mental betrayal to Mm -hmm. him like this is a way of weakening him okay i'm going to turn your dream against you yeah and and then it starts to free associate yeah john d realizes oh you did that like you did that to me i know you this is a dream and i'm in the dream world and i remember why i'm here i'm here Mm -hmm. to kill you and take this kingdom as my own yeah so in that he starts to like his appearance begins to change until he looks like Johnny D again yep. and no longer like Caesar. Before that, though, we've got the free association. Caesar, beware the ideas of March. Yeah. No, wait, that's not it. What is it? The March of Ideas? No, beware the brides of Frankenstein. That's very dreamlike free association, the way that things go from this to that to something similar but unrelated that that takes over your dream. Okay. And we've actually got them. They're wearing these dreams that look kind of like the Hecate, are now wearing Dream's helm. And then as soon as that free associates into Brides of Frankenstein, they all look like the Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. So it's kind of like Dream is trying to trap him in a very unsettling dream that he can't get his footing on. But as you say, he just shouts, no, no, stay back, go away. And the Dreamstone glows and everything goes away. When he's just standing on a white soundstage. Yeah. So he realizes he has the power to stop these dreams, which then lets him realize, oh, those were just dreams. Caesar, beware the ideas of March. Is that a line from Shakespeare's Caesar? Yeah. In Julius Caesar, the Ides of March is the 15th of March, the day that Caesar was assassinated or said to have been assassinated. In Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, he is told to beware the Ides of March by a soothsayer early on in the play. Oh, and then these characters are supposed to be soothsayers. Yeah. So, okay. But they say ideas of March, no, is it the March of Ideas, Brides of Frankenstein, and then it all blows up. And at the bottom of the panel, he sings, I think I'm going to like it here. It's from Annie. Why, you're our guest, Annie. Cecile will pick out all your clothes. Blue is her best color. No, red, I think. Your bath is drawn by 
Mrs. Greer. Soup. No bubbles, I think. Annette comes in to make your bed. Silk? No, the satin sheets, I think. I think I'm gonna like it here. Cute, yeah. Huh. So it's from Annie. I think I'm gonna like it here. Yeah. And it's Annie in the in the story is when she gets brought, you know, when she gets adopted by the millionaire. Um, and so... And finds out how great the house is and having yeah. servants is, yeah. Yeah, so suddenly her she her whole a paradigm shift is what it is. It's yeah. her complete... Everything has changed. And that's the same thing from him. He's going, I have all of your power. Like, this is the place I want to be the Lord of. I'm going to be the Lord of the dream world. I'm going to kill you and get all of your power. And I think I'm going to like it here. Yeah. And we go into an almost super heroic pose and look from him. He's got a super heroic or super villainous cape. His hair's gone. His head's gone like full skull. Yeah. And it goes more and more skull as we go along. And he's just outright blasting the dreams. And we're seeing the effect that it's having on hundreds of millions of sleepers. Yeah. And he sees Sandman's mask on a bunch of people everywhere. Mm Mm-hmm. Interesting. I think these are dreams, and I think the masks mean that he's perhaps a dream is hiding. He's putting up all these other dreams that look like him in order to keep a, try to keep him off his balance anyway. Mm, okay. And the way that D is responding to this is just outright destruction. He's just blasting things with the ruby. Yeah. Can you see me, stinkered lord of piss and mire? Yeah. Mm, can you see me using your power to rip the ragtag dream world apart? And the sleeping all over the world screamed and whimpered and moaned. They thrashed and called out as if caught in the darkest of nightmares. And in dreams, John D. spewed his hate and laughter into the emerald winds. Yeah. This is bad news for the whole world. Yeah. And so on our next page, we're seeing a bunch of characters we've met before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their reactions to what's going on. And we have verification that the Raven Woman is actually Eve. Mm-hmm. I mentioned that earlier because it's not much of a spoiler. Here's we finally the next time we hear about it, it's Eve, who was one of the co-hosts of Plop and a few other uh, things. If you go back to our episode one, uh, episode two, actually, yeah, episode is two, is when we talked about that. And Kane, Abel, Irving, and Gregory are mm-hmm. all hiding under the bed. Yeah, um, Irving is still tiny. Yep. And what I really like is that it took me a second to realize this. They're hiding under the bed, but the the wooden bottom panel of the bed is on a diagonal. And I realize it's because Gregory is so huge. <laughs> yeah. He's holding the bed up with his body. It, right. It's so funny. This shot is such a tight little shot, but I would love to see someone draw this out, <laughs> the full scene of them hiding under the bed, but the bed being up off its two legs on one right. side with Gregory's huge body holding it up, like ruining the illusion of hiding under the bed. Yeah. I want that. Like I want a full image of that. And then we also have in the garden of forking ways, destiny finds himself perhaps for the first time, hesitant to turn the next page in his book. So we have another one of the endless. Yeah. And it looks like he's chained to his book. Yeah, it does. It's chained to his wrist. I I don't know anything about this character, but I guess my, what I can glean from this is that he is one of the endless Mm -hmm. and he reads the story of destiny, like in a book. like probably everybody's life. Yeah. And so... But he now is worried about what's going to happen to mm-hmm. Dream. So he doesn't want to keep reading because he thinks that Dream might die. Yeah. 
Mm. Yeah. And eventually Dream uh, agrees he can't keep up like this and allow D to be tearing everything apart. Yeah. Ooh, here's another good set of insults from D. Watch me. I'll rupture your ramshackle land and piss in the ruins. Come to me, you spineless, spittle, arsed, poxy, pale wanker. <laughs> wanker being a pretty nasty insult in uh, in English slang. Generally having to do with uh, wanking, jerking off, mm-hmm. being useless. Yeah. Poxy pale. Oh, I love that. Should be a new vocal warm up. <laughs> <laughs> Dream confronts him. You only get one shot of the the scene where Dream is standing is on the ground and there are these cars, these wrecked cars that are and there seems to be like some of them seem to be on fire. Mm-hmm. And John D is flying above him with the ruby in his hand. So yeah. there's obviously a power dynamic here of John seeming like he has all the power. Mm-hmm. And uh and Dream is just standing there like ready you know ready for whatever comes yeah he seems to not have an idea of what to do but know that he can't allow what's going on to keep going on so he at least has to confront d somehow Mm -hmm. but over the next few pages it looks like d absolutely has the upper hand (laughs) and so d decides to take his because he says this this ruby contains your life and your magic and your power Mm -hmm. and the last time you used it it sucked out more and so dream says you're hurting the dreamers like you're tampering with the order of things and he says does that hurt does it i bet it hurts so he he uses the he uses the ruby to suck the power out of dream and so he's just he can't stop right like he's pulling all the power out pulling all the power out pulling all the power out and i think he just gets so overwhelmed with the power that he crushes the ruby yeah well like he, he, gets he so sees juiced. that the ruby is dream's life and says to kill you i'm going to destroy the ruby yeah he just gets yeah so bloodlusty and overwhelmed with the power that he uh he crushes the ruby which ultimately um might not have been the best idea and we get a crack and a whoomph and we're back to the all-white soundstage. The giant. It's all white, and he's just yeah. floating there all by himself. Mm-hmm. Reminds me of when the universe eats itself in Yellow Submarine. There are these monsters that are all over the place while uh, the beetles are in their Yellow Submarine, and it's going around and swallowing everything until eventually, once it's swallowed all the creatures, and it swallows... Uh, the scenery itself it then swallows itself and it's blink into nothingness and then out pops uh the submarine with the beetles in it mm-hmm. and then they meet uh the nowhere man who oh, lives yeah. in the nothing he speaks in in rhymes i think because one of his lines his favorite line from the story i remember is um if i spoke prose you'd all find out i don't know what i'm talking about mm-hmm <laughs> Yeah, it's one of my favorite lines from that movie. I watched mm. that movie so many times. <laughs> but that's what this reminds me of. When he's floating there in the nothingness, it uh, reminds me of, of that scene in in uh, Yellow Submarine where the universe gets all eaten up by a monster that likes to eat everything around it. So he has plans now that he's Lord of the Dream World. Mm. I will be wise and tolerant, Monarch, dispensing justice fairly and only setting nightmares to rip out the minds of the evil and the wicked. Or just anybody I don't like. Right, yeah. You think, oh, well, maybe this has allowed him to become good again or something. But yeah. now he's just making random proclamations and really has no control, it seems. Yeah, he's just a tyrant. Mm-hmm. Oh. 
I thought somebody would say something. But out of nowhere... Thank you, John D. We see Giant Dream yeah. in a t-shirt, which seems weird to me. T-shirt and jeans. Yeah, the t-shirt seems a little weird to me, but I, think, I like it. I think it's just that he's finally become grounded. The dream before was lacking something and had been gone from our world for so long. Mm-hmm. And now all of those limitations that he had have been taken away. So all of a sudden he's like, oh, yeah, I understand what the modern clothing that somebody like me would wear. Uh, I will be dressed up appropriately. I'm super powerful again, mm-hmm. as we learn from what he explains. Mm-hmm. So when the ruby gets cracked, he absorbed all that power back into himself. Yeah, yeah. Including the power that he had put into the ruby to make it all those perhaps thousands and thousands of years ago. So now he's back to his true godlike state. Yeah. He is a full member of like being. Yeah. Is all of his power back. And kind of an odd change from the way he gets revenge earlier. Yeah, what he happens doesn't seem here? mad at all. Like, yeah. Because he recognizes, I think, that it's his fault. Like the ruby itself is his fault. He shouldn't have been captured and that was bad. And And John D shouldn't have taken it. But he recognizes that the ruby being in John D's life destroyed John D, and that it was his fault all those years ago for having poured his energy right. to do that thing, that make that shortcut. It's like he can't blame John D for basically what is an almost magically caused mental illness. Mm-hmm. Right? It's uh, interestingly forward thinking about that from the time, you know, the, the late 80s, early 90s, to really point out that people who have their minds broken by something that is not their fault aren't actually at fault for their actions. Mm-hmm. It also a little flies in the way that he took out revenge on Burgess's son. Yeah. Right? That he did this horrible vengeance, but against John D, who's literally, we saw him directly torture and murder six people. He caused unknown horrors and deaths around the world for probably 24 or so more hours. Uh, and, and that's not to say all the things he did before that got him landed in Arkham Asylum right, in the first exactly. place. Right, But at the same time, Dream's like, yeah, we'll just send you back to where you're supposed to go. Yeah. It's, it's, it's odd. It's interesting. I don't think he's wrong exactly. I think he's now got a different point of view than what he had. Mm-hmm. But the change is interesting. Yeah. He's so benevolent. Kind this. of, yeah. I mean, even look at the final panel of this page where he's sitting there and he's got his head, he's, his arms are crossed over his knees and he's just got his head on his on them and he's, I don't know, it's just, he, right. looks, he looks so young too. He <laughs> look, looks like a teenager. Uh, and uh, John D. scratching his butt. Mm-hmm. Scratch, scratch. <laughs> are you going to kill me? I could. Perhaps I will. Like he's just kind of thinking about it. Yeah, super interesting the way that this snaps into an entirely different thing. We had this giant, super-powered confrontation between an utterly evil, morally bankrupt, super-powerful entity who just made this one mistake and all of a sudden the shoe's on the other foot and our protagonist is merciful. Yeah, and even when he when he's now taking him out of the dream, he's making a door to take him back to Arkham, he says... Uh, D says, I'm sorry, and Dream says, I don't doubt it. Not that it matters. Yeah. You should never have used my ruby. It was not made for mortals. 
the damage to your mind must have been considerable. So he's saying like you shouldn't have used it, but also mm-hmm. I see that it's obviously wrecked your mind. So yeah. he can't really punish him because no punishment. What is a punishment going to do to John D? He's obviously mad. Mm-hmm. Like if to punish someone who is mentally ill is not going to fix their mental illness. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And so he takes them home. And when the first time when they get to, as soon as they get to Arkham, who do they see? But the Scarecrow. And he's got his full outfit on. Where did this, is the Scarecrow just hiding his costume in Arkham somewhere? Well, I guess he's kind of escaped. And also I think security's fairly lax in Arkham Asylum. (laughs) They, because depending on who's depicting it, sometimes it really is like a sanitarium where they're just all kind of wandering around. And some of them are kind of wearing bits of their costumes. Hmm. But it's only been 24 hours. He did break out earlier and the world has been plunged into chaos. So I guess fixing Arkham Asylum was never one of the major things that needed to happen. Yeah. All the the police forces were out trying to deal with all the other horrible things happening in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, Scarecrow jumps out at them and then he says, oh, sorry, hang on. I'm afraid I can't see a thing without my spectacles. Yeah. And uh, and he, he says here, I was worried you might not be coming back. I told you you'd come back. We always come back. So it's a little weird that he contradicts himself within t- yeah. a sentence of himself. But I guess he's saying that he was afraid, maybe because things have been so mad. Yeah. Oh, maybe things are changing now. Yeah, for yeah. sure. It's a comfort in wretchedness to have companions in woe. Of course, he was talking about hell, but it applies equally to Arkham. <laughs> so that's Faust. Yeah, that's Faust. And D says, there's no place like home, Professor Crane, which is from The Wizard of Oz. Oh, yeah. Which has a scarecrow has in it. Has a scarecrow. Yeah. And then, obviously, he's Dorothy. So that means that Sandman is One either... of the witches? No, he's either the Tin Man. In this way that they're walking together, he'd have to be the Tin Man at this point in the story because they haven't found the lion yet. Okay. Yeah, and the Tin Man doesn't have a heart, but he's, he's <laughs> full of... He's full of hope and and love, and in this thing where he's where where Sandman is being so nice to him now is taking him home and being sweet to him. I think maybe that's who he's supposed to be. Maybe he's Glinda though. Could be Glinda. Although, if we're chronologically, if we're talking about the storyline of of Wizard of Oz at this time, when there's only three of them, it's the Scarecrow, Dorothy, and the Tin Man. I've done The Wizard of Oz as a play a couple of times, so <laughs> I have the the storyline as well burnt into my brain. I will bow to your expertise. The chronological storyline. <laughs> Over on the next page, we find out that Scarecrow is frightened of rats. He doesn't point out that this is often called musophobia or murophobia. He doesn't, maybe he doesn't point it out because he doesn't want to clinically, he doesn't want to be clinical about himself, only others. Yes, yeah, could be. I can't go sleep in my cell. There's a rat in it. (laughs) And he says Mr. Dent tried to strangle himself. That's not surprising. Mr. Dent is Harvey Dent, also Mm -hmm. known as Two-Face. And he probably has quite a bit of uh, self-hatred and self-conflict going on in his life. Mm -hmm. Wait, that was something I always found interesting about Harvey Dent is how he's introduced as this, at least in the, my experience of Batman is through the various Batman films. Mm-hmm. And through Batman the Animated Series. Right. And Harvey Dent in Batman the Animated Series is a politician 
and uh, a friend to Batman in some ways. Yeah, I guess not specifically to Batman, but to Bruce Wayne. Yeah, yeah, definitely a good person. Yeah, and then he gets corrupted. Half of him does, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. We've got later on that same page, Scarecrow talks about fear of noise and tries to work it backwards from the Latin. He actually gets it wrong. Fear of noise is phonophobia and is also sometimes called legerophobia, sonophobia, as well as acousticophobia. Not, but not strepentophobia. Not strepentophobia. Sorry, you got that wrong, Scarecrow. It's never quiet here, not even at night. There's always someone crying, someone calling out, someone in the next cell banging their head against the wall. Banging and banging and banging. And so Dream says, go back to your bed, Jonathan Crane. Go to sleep. I have a castle to rebuild, a world to reclaim. But tonight, at least, tonight, humanity will sleep in peace. And he disappears, and the super scientific mind of the mad Dr. Crane believes he might have seen a hallucination, and then yawns. Mm. And we find out the next page over that everything starts to return to normal. Everybody's sleeping well. The whole world seems to go to sleep that night, I think. Yeah. Like, Sandman is like, I think everyone is going to need a good night's sleep after this insanity. He did talk earlier about repairing the damage and trying to undo and heal what has been done. And sleep can be very restorative. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. Especially after something so traumatic, right? You would imagine in in a regular situation when all of this, these traumatic situations that have happened to people, they wouldn't be able to sleep. But instead, Sandman goes, okay, tonight I will make everyone sleep in peace. Mm -hmm. Silence washes like a river over Arkham. No sounds of screaming, no sobbing, no noises of pain or madness. Just peace. The only noise is the gentle, even cadence of people asleep. In, out, in, out. Right. Listen, you can hear it. And I think a very definite choice of the word people there. Because he doesn't say madmen. Yeah. Right? Or the insane. Just people sleeping. Mm Mm-hmm. I kind of feel this could be Neil making a big commentary on mental illness. Right? That these are people. They're broken in certain ways and you can't... Hold them to accountable for the brokenness of their brains. Also, I mean, there isn't justice in punishing someone in this situation. Like, there's no, you don't get anything out of it. It doesn't fix what happened and it doesn't change the person. Like, no matter what he did to John D, if he punished John D and the situation arose again, say he made another Ruby. The punishment that John D experienced previously would probably not stop him from taking the ruby again. Not because he's inherently a bad person, but because the temptation is too great for him. You know, Mm -hmm. like the brokenness of him would mean he would not be able to stop it. So no matter what Dream did to him, short of killing him, it wouldn't change how he would react to the ruby. Yeah. So it's his responsibility to not give John D something like a ruby as opposed to just punish him for having done something that right. was outside of his control. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe I'm speculating. I don't know. That's what I get from that. So mm. next up, A Death in the Family. So that's the promised title. The actual title is The Sound of Her Wings. Oh, he's going to meet death. Or he's not going to meet death. It's his sister. So he, he already knows who this is. But the next one is going to involve death, the character death. Okay. What do you think is going to happen? It's going to meet death and... What happens at family reunions? 
maybe she's going to show up because he died. Maybe there's some kind of fallout for the fact that he died very briefly. I don't think he did die. I you think, don't think that's what I, happened I, I when think, the ruby no, sucked up his life and then was crushed? No, because I he, I think that's what D thought he was doing. Oh, okay. Right? Oh, this is, you used part of your life to make this stone, so if I crush it, I'll kill you. But that's just not true, right? What happened was he destroyed the stone, which meant all the power that was there got to go back to Dream. Well, definitely he's going to meet death. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to have a family reunion. So what do you do at okay. family reunions? I don't know. Um... My family uh, drinks too much and then yells. So <laughs> maybe that will happen. Okay. Maybe they'll all drink too much and yell. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll check that out next issue. You've been dreaming of the Sandman, issue seven, Sound and Fury. For links, images, and show notes, visit thedreaming.motivedust.com. Support future episodes at patreon.com slash thedreaming. Rate and review us on your favorite podcast app, and please tell your friends. Our theme music is Oneri by Kai Engel. Hear more at kaiengel.bandcamp.com. The Dreaming was recorded in Burnaby, British Columbia, Canada, on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, Kikate, and tsleil Nations. I'm Joe Fulgham. Thanks for listening. Time to wake up. <laughs>